Oh crap, we already got the first wrong logo up. Good evening, uh, ghouls and fiends, and uh, welcome once again to the Ministry of Horror. I'm your host, as per usual, Tez, and uh, we'll just kind of qu very quickly discuss um, the weekend. So I appeared on the Ministry of Slam uh, with, with Lawrence, um, Lee's stepping away um, from Ministry of Slam for a bit, um, so I'm kind of just helping out where I can, so I think it goes without saying, you know, as, as I mentioned on the show yesterday, I wish all the best uh, for Lee, um, you know, always always here to chat. Um, but that was Sunday, this is today, today is the Ministry of Horror, got a few people in the chat, see we've got the Graf, we've got Bericles, Fran the Cannon, Bruce Todd, um, hey guys, hope you've all had a good week. Um, it's, uh, it's a solo show tonight, so, and it's not even going to be a super, super long one. Um, there's not much in the way of reviews. There's one particular review, but I, it's once again been a tough week to find something new, um, to stream. And even, you know, even when I'm not being a cheapskate looking at things to, to purchase or to, to rent. So we do have the one review coming up a little bit later on of Candyman. Uh, we've got some news that we're going to get to in a moment, and then the uh, the main attraction of today, we're going to round out our mini-season of remakes by looking at one of the ripest subgenres uh, for remakes, which is slashers. It's not going to be a concise every, you know, remake under the sun. I've whittled it down to a, a small handful. There's going to be a couple of, you know, honorary mentions, um... But we're looking at we're looking at remakes. We're looking at uh, that in kind of the looser sense. You know, you're going to have soft reboots, reboots, reimaginings, whatever you want to call it. But generally, they're going to fall under that banner. So we'll get to them a bit later on. Um, first off, as per usual, the Ministry of Slam was this past weekend. Every Sunday, check it out. This coming Sunday, uh, seven p.m. Uh, on the MOS Network and all podcast feeds. Uh, I believe next week we should have the next issue um, from Bericles and Dave of the t uh, the Turner years. Um, really good stuff so far. That's uh, every uh, two weeks on Tuesday. And then Andy Evans with the Retro Chat every Tuesday, 7pm. Um, so yeah, just plenty of things for you to get sink your teeth into, sink your fangs into, if you will, on uh, the MOS Network. So let's just dive straight into the latest horror news. Uh, this comes just 28 minutes ago uh, on bloodydisgusting.com from John Squires. There are five horror movies releasing this week. Will I be able to watch them so I can review them? Who knows? Um, now, with a, it's got a tinge of horror, but uh, legend of the horror world, Sam Raimi, director, is returning to both Marvel and the horror genre of the sequel Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now, I... The first Doctor Strange film was one of the Marvel films that kind of went over my head a bit. It's not a character that I'm really that invested in, personally. I thought the film was fine, but I really don't remember a lot about it. That being said, I'm quite intrigued to see how the greater Marvel cinematic universe handles um, horror. And obviously Sam Raimi has worked on the Spider-Man trilogy, made his name you know, initially in the horror world. And there are hints of it. I think there's, in the trailer, there's like a zombified Doctor Strange or a multiverse version of zombies. Don't know a lot about it. I know that there's the whole what ifs, which I haven't seen any of. So who knows? I'm intrigued. I will watch it. Will it be a cinema job? It's going to depend on the hype. 
Also, I don't live near any cinemas. I am in the middle of nowhere. Um, but here we go. The new horror arriving this week. So, survival thriller Breathe has been released on VOD outlets today uh, from director John Reel. This is courtesy of Uncorked Entertainment. Uh, in the film, Lara Winslet is an expert geologist in volcanology. She is together with her team of what? She is together with her team of work on us. Uh, that sorry, that's bad grammar. Her <laughs> work on a volcano to conduct surveys. At the end of the working day, Lara decides to stay a little longer to finish an exam, and she remains so. And she remains so alone. I don't think this little blurb. I'm not saying this is John Squire's um, wording, but I don't know if it's a copy and paste job. It just it doesn't seem to be worded brilliantly. Um, returning, we'll get back to it. Returning, she has an accident, falling inside a hole in the ground and remains blocked inside there, where no one can see nor hear her. This experience will lead her to take an examination of her whole life and to think of her daughter. Um. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll drop the link in the chat. Oh, let's see if this works. Actually, hey, oh look, we got chat on screen. I'm slowly learning things, people. I'm slowly learning things, and things seem to be working. Isn't that great? Um, <laughs> so I will drop. I will drop the link in uh, in the chat. That did not do any justice. Uh, I saw the trailer looks a bit like 127 hours. Now, funnily enough, I've not actually seen 127 hours. Um, I don't know if I will. Uh, I think it's one of those films where you, when you know what the big thing is that's happening, that happens. Uh, it kind of takes my interest off it. Like I'm not, I don't have that voyeuristic interest of I want to see what it looks like. I imagine it looks like an arm being sliced off. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I've not watched the trailer yet. This has literally just popped up. Um, the the blurb doesn't sound too interesting to me, but like like I say, having a bit of a dry spell with new horror, so beggars can't be choosers. Next up, uh, it's pretty quiet for the rest of the week until Friday, which marks the Shudder premiere of brand new original horror movie, The Twin. Shudder's latest stars Lights Out actress Teresa Palmer which always makes me think of Twin Peaks. Uh, the Twin is the new horror movie from Lake Bodum director Tanelli Mustonen. Uh, Lake Bodum is, that's pretty cool. Um, following the aftermath of a tragic accident that claimed the life of one of their twins, Rachel, played by Teresa Palmer, from Warm Bodies and A Discovery of Witches, and husband Anthony, Stephen Cree, also from A Discovery of Witches and Outlander, uh, I haven't seen any of those things, <laughs> relocate to the other side of the world with their surviving son in the hopes of building a new life. Uh, what begins as a time of healing in the quiet Scandinavian countryside soon takes an ominous turn when Rachel begins to unravel the torturous truth about her son and confronts the malicious forces attempting to take a hold of him. That seems more interesting to me than, um, than that Breathe film. Um, again, I haven't seen any of these trailers yet. Shudder they i've been kind of critical of some of their new films of late uh the one that i watched a couple of weeks back the alicia cuthbert i thought was actually really good so that was a good step in the right direction um i will check out these trailers um this is my this is my crap preparation um but that sounds interesting now next up 
Peter Facinelli stars alongside Eric Dane and Terry Polo in the psychological thriller The Ravine, which BD's parent company, Sidney Diggum, is bringing to theatres and VOD this Friday. Uh, in the film, a sleepy suburb of New Orleans seems like the idyllic place to raise a family until an unspeakable crime rocks the community to its core. Oh, God. Uh, with more questions than answers... Oh, wait a minute, where's this move to? With more questions than answers, family and friends are left to wonder if they overlooked the murderer among them or if there might be more to the story. Oh, I, I do like a good mystery. I do like a good thriller, a good mystery thriller... A thriller that's mysterious. Um, so that is, uh, it's written by Keone Waxman, uh, wrote and directed The Ravine, based on Robert Pascuzzi's novel. Now, I believe Robert Pascuzzi, I may be getting mixed up. Is he not the writer behind True Detective? I think I have got that mixed up. Um, the, the name just seems similar. Uh, Leslie Unghams from Deadpool, Byron Mann of Skyscraper, and Lucy Faust of The Underground Railroad co-star. Uh, the ravine is inspired by true events. The horror was real, yet so is the overwhelming sense of human understanding that it brought to us. I mean, if it's based on something that's happened, that always adds, you know, that always adds something to it. Uh, hey, so we've got Voodoo Vegas, we've got uh, yeah, Ministry of Slam in the chat. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, any, anything that's based on a true story instantly has, you know, my intrigue. I'm a glutton for uh, for a good true crime. Now, here's another film we mentioned on the news a couple of weeks back. I've seen the trailer for it now. Um, in, intrigued? I wouldn't say hyped, but I'd say intrigued. And that is uh, Escape the Field. Uh, Lionsgate is back with Escape the Field, a new horror film from Emerson Moore that will open in select theatres and on VOD platforms this Friday, May the 6th. In the film, the fear is inescapable and suspense non-stop in this gripping horror thriller about six strangers who suddenly awaken in a remote, endless cornfield. Uh, stripped of their possessions, they are left with only six items, a gun with a single bullet, matches, a lantern, a knife, a compass, and a flask of water. As mysterious sirens blare in the distance and traps appear at every turn, the group realises it's been plunged into a cat-and-mouse game with an unseen evil, and survival depends upon solving a diabolical and deadly puzzle. Now, yeah, the, the trailer looks like it could be good, it could be kind of shoddy, who knows. Um, I always find with these mystery things, the intrigue sometimes can be quite difficult to satisfyingly come to a resolution uh, there's a tv series a couple of years ago called wayward pines um and the premise of it was quite interesting and even when they started revealing things and revealing what was going on for me i still found it quite interesting but then it seemed to kind of shit the bed i know it was based on a series of books i, I haven't read those but um Kind of similar with Lost, the premise, the setup was very interesting. Had people hooked. They maybe dragged it out too long. This was the era of network TV where each season was like 20 odd episodes and about 10 of them were filler. Um, but again, I wouldn't necessarily say it stuck the landing, whether that ending was in place to begin with or not. Who knows? Uh, yeah, He Who Walks Behind the Rose. Could this really be, could this be a marketing ploy like uh, The Woods when it was announced and then it turned out to be Blair Witch? Could this be. Children of the Corn 13. Who knows? Maybe. 
Would you be interested in that? Some of the children in the corner films are decent. Some are absolute garbage. Um, and that then brings us to this Friday's release, which uh, I know uh, Lawrence is very much looking forward to. Him and Meryl are going to watch it this weekend, or the end of this week. Um, that is the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, uh, which is horror master Sam Raimi's first movie in nearly 10 years. What was his last one then? Because Drag Me That to Hell... Is that 10 years old? I thought that might have been older. Um, yeah, Fran McCannon, I, I kind of lost interest by the end of season one. Just, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I didn't really have the interest to watch season two. The The end of season one didn't really leave me wanting to, to follow it on. Um, but here we go. Marvel's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The MCU unlocks the multiverse and pushes its boundaries further than ever before. Journey into the unknown with Doctor Strange, who, with the help of mystical allies, both old and new, uh, traverses the mind-bending and dangerous alternate realities of the multiverse to confront a mysterious new adversary. So, I have seen the trailer. I won't, get, won't talk about the trailer. No spoilers or anything. But the trailer was interesting. Um, I don't know anything about who the adversary is going to be. That It does hint at a familiar face maybe becoming an adversary i'll, I'll again keep it very vague uh, but i really don't know much about it um who knows i may i may get someone to watch my dog and make the hour or so journey to the cinema uh, i moved out hicks it's really cheap but there's nothing around here other than supermarkets um <laughs> Uh, yeah, Voodoo Vegas. So, 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 pump for Doctor Strange. Whoop. Uh, I'm looking forward, uh, Lawrence, to, you know, your spoiler. I know you're going to do a spoiler review and a spoiler-free review. I'll definitely check out the spoiler-free review uh, just to kind of see what is what is going on. I'm very easily influenced by the hype train of things. So I imagine once I start hearing, you know, kind of how good the film is, then uh, it'll be very easy for me to suddenly flip a switch and be like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, so Barracles, Thursday is going to be interesting. I've seen reviews saying you might want to keep the kids at home. Could be a problem. Oh, God damn it, Barracles. Now that I hear that, I think, okay, that sounds like it's going to be pretty, pretty scary. Okay, maybe now I'm a little bit interested. Uh, Bruce Todd, I'm in the minor minority. I hear Marvel and I sigh greatly. Yeah, some, some people, you know, the superhero films or the Marvel films, it's not for them. It's not for everyone. Um, Gruff says there are leaks out already that I'm avoiding. I know barely anything about it. And I'm so excited. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to repeat what Lawrence has just said. <laughs> um, and yes, well done, Pericles. Uh, but yeah, the graph. There are leaks out already that I'm avoiding. I know barely anything about it. I'm so excited too. Um, yeah, I very, I much prefer to see a film knowing nothing about it. Uh, knowing the bare minimum. Um, I, I think it is such a shame in this day and age how quickly spoilers are put out. And by, I mean you know, friend of the uh, former host, co-host of the Ministry of Slam, um, Simon Miller. He works for What Culture. And I remember before the week, or like five days before the Batman had its UK release, there was a, and obviously I know there's writers behind that, I'm in no way blaming Simon Miller, but there was a video and the thumbnail was uh, five of the craziest things we learnt from the Batman. And the, the you know, the thumbnails on YouTube, they autoplay sometimes. I'm just thinking the film's not even out yet. Like, come on. Spider-Man, prime example. I mean, part of the marketing campaign was one of the big reveals in the film. And I think it's such a good thing if you don't know that that's coming. But in this day and age, you don't see it within the first 48 hours. That's kind of, 
it kind of becomes your fault, which I just think is a little bit crazy. But that's the day that's the day and age that we live in, people. That is the day and age that we live in. Um, yes, Fran the Cannon, I recommend the Marvel Zombies comic book series. It was written written by Robert Walking Dead Kirkman. I've I have when I went through a kick of reading quite a bit of Marvel, the zombie stuff was great. Um, and uh, there was like even there's a Deadpool zombie thing, which is just excellent. Yeah, what if the what if series of Marvel? I I'm very I'm interested by, but I need to get into a Marvel mood. And at the moment, I'm kind of slowly slugging through Moon Knight. It's fine, but I'm not in the I'm not on the hype train yet. When I'm on the hype train, I will then seek out those things. But I mean, maybe I'll just switch to the Marvel zombie episode. The Marvel What If zombie episode. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, that's the new films coming out this week. Uh, next up on the news, <clears throat> for fans of the Conjuring universe, The Nun 2 plot details have been teased in an official casting call. Uh, the next instalment of The Conjuring universe is set to be The Nun 2. Uh, we're bloody disgusting letting you know last week that Michael Chavez, who worked on The Curse of La Llorona, and uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which are both films that i kind of had lower expectations on just because i didn't really know about the curse of la Laura, la, la lorona and uh, the devil made me do it didn't have james wan directing but both were pretty enjoyable pretty good horrors uh, he will be taken over as director confirmed by producer james wan shortly thereafter bonnie arons will be back again playing the demon known as valak i mean if anyone's seen the conjuring 2 or the nun which the nun i wasn't massively impressed with when i first saw it in the cinema just because pretty much everything is at night i know it's a horror but if you're just basically looking at darkness for an hour and a half it's a bit like oh man this is kind of boring but on re on re-watching i do think the nun has some good moments it's it's not one of the best in the in the universe but i think it's great and the, the character of valak is a genuinely creepy antagonist uh, well, today, the film's official Twitter account has tweeted out a link to a casting call for The Nun 2, which includes a brief plot synopsis for the upcoming sequel. Uh, so if you don't want to know anything about The Nun 2, um, put your fingers in your ears or turn the volume down for 10 seconds. So the, the plot synopsis is 1956 France. A priest is murdered and evil is spreading. The sequel to the worldwide smash hit The Nun follows Sister Irene as she once again comes face to face with the demonic force Valak, the demon nun. Um, okay, so yeah, Sister Irene was played by um, Tysa Farminga, who's the sister of Vera Farminga, who plays uh, Lorraine. And uh, Tysa has been in loads of stuff. Final Girls, the first season of American Horror Story, when American Horror Story kind of had a bit of direction, um, just my opinion. Um, but yeah, the nun, the nun got like three hundred and sixty-five million in worldwide box office. It probably had like a twenty million budget, if that, because Blumhouse are incredible at making great-looking films on relatively low budgets in in the modern the modern uh, sense of the word. So that's you know, it's I'm and apparently it's being written by um Akila Cooper, who wrote Malignant, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was really good. So that is uh their casting at the moment. No idea on when that is going to be coming out. I wouldn't have thought until next year, but uh fans of the conjuring, the nun two is uh, is in production. Well being cast. Um what have we got here? Zombie blob sticks in my mind. Okay, uh, that was my memory. Right, okay, so that's still on the uh, the Marvel zombies. I will uh, 
I'll tell you what, after the show, because this isn't going to be one of our two-hour shows, it's just me rambling, um, you know, I will watch, I will go on Disney+, Plus. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it on the iPad, because I've got to do some washing up while I'm getting the podcast uh, downloaded, and I'll watch the What If Marvel Zombie episode. Now, this is interesting... I wouldn't say concerning, but this, funnily enough, we're talking remakes. This is the remake season, of course, mini season. The next bit of news is about a remake. I say I'm initially concerned, but at the same point, I, I, I don't care about remakes being made because nothing is, the, the original isn't going anywhere. But this has kind of, this, this doesn't fill me with hope uh, because it's a, an American remake of a very successful British uh, IP, and that doesn't always work um, work that well. Um, so, a remake is being made of the British anthology series Inside Number Nine, and it's in the works for Amazon Freevee. Now, is Amazon Freevee is that the new name for IMDb TV? The sort of the free kind of add-on as part of Prime. I'm sure their logo has changed recently. Uh, Amazon Freevee, the ad funding streaming service, oh, here we go, formerly IMDb TV, unveiled an increased slate of originals. Among them is a new remake of the British series Inside Number 9, an anthology series that blends horror, dark humour, crime and suspense. It's currently in development from Lionsgate Television and BBC Studios Los Angeles. Uh, it's a dark comedy, features high stakes, shocking twists and the unexpected. If anyone's a fan of Inside Number Nine, it's recently come back for I think its seventh season, um, and the the episode last week, episode two, was was brilliant. Had a real sort of folklore, um, folklore sort of feel to it, and it also had that in, in you know just their uh, their great humour that really you know balances out the uh, the dark horror. Uh, now Pemberton. Steve Pemberton and Reese Shearsmith will executive produce alongside Angie Stevenson and Josh Cole. Uh, Co-head of content and programming Lauren Anderton, Anderson sorry, told Deadline in a statement, we want to do inventive, noisy, interesting television that show... What? And, the, and that show is one of one. All oh, right, okay. And that show is in Inside Number 9 is one of one. Uh, we hope we can make a version that is worthy of the legacy. Uh, the legacy is a high bar to clear, as Inside Number 9 is currently one of the best shows you're not watching. I agree, it's great. If you like... An, but, if you like an anthology, and who doesn't? There's a new anthology out on DVD, Vipco Vaults of uh, Vipco's Vault of Terror, on VipcoVaults.com. Shameless plug there. Um, it is brilliant. Like, there's episodes that are higher on the humour. Um, there's episodes which have strong influences uh, behind them. There's, it's, it's really worth watching. They did a live episode couple of years back and um it was set on like a bbc sound stage it was really really good i think it must have been series five maybe maybe the end of season four but yeah it's what what more could you want than little bite-sized horrors in in 30 minutes um and a u.s remake who knows i'll watch it who knows we'll see uh right next bit of news lovecraft lovecraft's untold stories 2 arrives on steam may 17th so this is a new lovecraft video game 
Uh, it's been developed by Blinny Games, and it and it's the follow-up to 2019's Lovecraft's Untold Stories. Uh, early access. It's been in early access since last October, and it's announced that it will arrive on May 17th for PC via Steam. It follows on from the previous game. It involves uh, surrealist artist Ardo Bono presenting his painting called Dream Landscape in the Paris Spring Salon of 1926. Of course, once the painting was unveiled, it caused a sudden riot. Not long after the exhibition, uh, Ardros Bono falls into a strange sleep with no one able to rouse him. It's up to you to investigate. Uh, Join the detective, witch and professor this time against the great old ones are the medium, veteran and alienist. So I guess these are classes. Uh, each class has their own unique play style. And add to that hundreds of different weapons and clothing items for you to use. Or if you're feeling ambitious, you can craft your own items. Um, it kind of sounds like a massively multiplayer online game or a multiplayer game. Um, I like Lovecraft. I can't say I've played that many of the games. Uh, as I may have said before, I, I do like horror games. I'm a bit of a wuss with them. But I find most these days seem to be phasmophobia, um, multiplayer jobbies and i don't know i prefer a strong narrative story um at the moment occasionally you know my gaming streams are very hit and miss as to when i do them uh will i'll be playing alan wake on my personal channel and then condemned criminal origins on the uh, the ministry of horror as and when um but yeah maybe i'll look out for that i'll see what the scores are like see what the gameplay is like um but i'll drop that trailer in the chat uh, don't know what is going on on whichever channel that's live streaming on, but uh, some sassy language there. Uh, last bit of news we have now. Talking about m random multiplayer games based on horror IPs, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre actor who played the hitchhiker, Ed Neal, is voicing the hitchhiker in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game. Uh, Gun Interactive, who made Friday the 13th, are hard at work on their upcoming Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game, and they've made a pretty cool announcement today. Ed Neal, who played the hitchhiker in Toby Hooper's original horror classic, will be reprising the role in the upcoming game. Neal will be voicing the hitchhiker, a playable killer. You can listen to a preview snippet of Neal's hitchhiker voice below. Um, I'll drop that in. Oh, and Kane Hodder is playing Leatherface. Um, yeah, I mean... I haven't seen any footage yet. I don't think they've released any footage yet. They've done some character models I've seen on Twitter. Um, I'm intrigued, but again, I would love to play a Texas Chainsaw Mask game that has a single-player mode. Uh, like, I really like the look of the Evil Dead, but I just, I don't, I don't have that sort of gaming community where we will jump in and play, uh, you know, play that kind of game. I'd much prefer a good narrative. Um, which is, yeah, Fran Akan, playing through the Supermassive games before The Quarry comes out, nearly finished Until Dawn. Until Dawn is excellent. That's probably the best, in my opinion, out of those. I really enjoyed the, the recent one with Pazuzu. Can't remember what it was called. Um, and Man of Medan was decent. Uh, Hope, Little Hope, is the only one I haven't finished yet. Uh, it's good. But it just it doesn't seem to have quite as much direction, whereas, again, the one with Pazuzu and Ashley Tisdale in it, um, I can't remember what it's called. That was pretty good. I did enjoy that. Um, and Man of Badan's fine. 
Yeah, single player only for me with a good story. I'd love to play a decent single player Evil Dead game. Uh, 100% the graph. I, 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 get, I, I imagine it takes a lot to make a video game. I'm not going to say it's, uh, it's easy. Uh, at all no, i know nothing about it. i can't make i can't make <laughs> computer stuff um but uh I, I i would just think well take some of the focus out of these making these multiplayer games and oh house of ashes yeah thanks fran and and make a single player story like what happened to the days of single player games having a multiplayer mode uh, i don't want to be old man shouting at the clouds but it kind of it's seeming more and more that you have a multiplayer game and then a single player game as separate games that both will probably cost 50 to 65 quid just make a good single player game that maybe has a really cool multiplayer function um you know i'd rather spend a full price on that than maybe get a multiplayer game that's 30 quid like 30 quid still 30 quid you know <laughs> um but yeah i mean that's kind of cool that he's voicing it. i don't know if he's really I don't know too much about what Ed Neal's done outside of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that graph. Um, just an old man shouting at the clouds. Uh, yeah, but it's quite cool to have him back. I mean, the Hitchhiker was one of the almost underrated characters in um, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre because he's just really creepy. Now, 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 we are now going to move on to the one and only review for tonight. Again, I normally try and get two, three films uh, reviewed. I just really couldn't find anything. I was spending more time trying to look for a new, decent, intriguing uh, horror. Um, and I kind of ran out of time to look at a retro one. Again, there was nothing really that was on my radar that I thought, what can I do a retro review of that I haven't seen that isn't maybe going to be trash? Who knows? But Amazon Prime, I noticed at the weekend, um, have put on the 2021 Candyman. Um... I'll try and put the poster behind the chat. That probably doesn't help with the chat. Let me just move the poster. Let's just put... Oh, who cares? Let's put the poster up here. <laughs> there we go. Fine. That's fine. Um, so this is uh, directed by Nia DaCosta and written by Jordan Peele, Wynne Rosenfeld and DaCosta. It's a direct sequel to the 1992 film of the same name. Again... I'm really not a fan of that concept of we'll have a sequel, but we don't want to put people off by putting a number behind it, so we're going to call it the same name as the original. Like, that's stupid. Um, but it's the fourth film in the Candyman film series based on the short story The Forbidden. I can't complain too much about it being a sequel because I do... I am a, fran I am a fan of a franchise, not particularly the Candyman franchise, but I do like... Uh, a building universe, seeing what's happened with these characters or who who else has come into this story. So I would much rather have this as it is be a new film, which could be a remake, um, but is also quite evidently becomes known as a sequel uh, and is part of the expanding story. So I won't go into the whole sort of production on this. I know it's uh, it's release and filming got delayed a number of times due to due to you know the pandemic. Um, so I, Bruce Todd, I'm waiting for someone to do a Candyman set like the original story in a Liverpool council estate, preferably with Tony Todd. Yeah, uh, 
I mean, that was the original, the original setting. I mean, the the, the Candyman film, the original, is quite different to the Forbidden, which I got around to reading. Uh, check back on one of the earlier episodes of uh, Ministry of Horror. We discussed it in the the beginnings of the MOH Book Club. We'll talk about MOH Book Club a little bit later on. Um, and yeah, it's quite different. The the short story do doesn't have any of the say his name a number of times. Um, it does have the element, though, of he lives on as kind of a legend, or he he needs people by people talking about it. It kind of gives him strength, almost like a Freddy Krueger type. Um, but this this film, I I wasn't hyped to watch. Like I didn't go out my way to watch it when it kind of first came out, just because Candyman isn't one of my franchises. Really, I've seen the first two. Second one's not so good. The first is fine. It was creepy as a kid because it is it's quite it's one of the more visceral um mainstream films of the time. Um but uh I didn't go out of my way to watch it. Now Frank Cat's mentioned some some blinders in there. Um if it's on Prime I might give this a go. It yeah, it is on Prime. But I've got a few films recorded I've not got around to watching yet though. Ghost Stories. I thought Ghost Stories was great. I wasn't really a massive fan of the ending but then i understand that it's based on a play it's made by the same people that made the play so maybe i'm missing something the void is freaking incredible if you like the thing you'll love the void haven't seen Feb february and uh, the witch is robert eggers the, the witch is great is really good um but yeah so a candy man it follows a young artist who's moved in with his girlfriend who's quite a successful artist and He's kind of trying to find, I suppose, his voice. He's had some work that he's done, but he hasn't really done anything for a couple of years. So he's struggling a bit with uh, uh, doubt and, I suppose, writer's block or painter's block. He hears about this tale um, in Cabrini Green, which is the, the setting of the first film, but it's now become gentrified. Uh, what was once a very impoverished, uh, run-down, graffiti-covered area is now full of young, hip artists in really fancy high-rise apartments. He hears this tale, kind of like, I think it's from his girlfriend's brother, um, about a, a candy man, this, this person who... I won't go into too much because a number of different stories get told, but essentially in this we are interwoven with a version of the original story except it's the Chinese Whispers where Virginia Madsen's character has gone mental and has tried to burn a baby in the, the annual bonfire, which obviously isn't the actual truth. We've, we've, we found out in the first film that she was trying to save the baby because Candyman was trying to sacrifice the baby. Um, and later on, he goes to visit the, the more slum areas of Cabrini Green, and he gets a sting on his hand by, I guess, like a honeybee. Kind of looks more like a wasp, but it's, I think, a honeybee. From there, he meets this guy who works at a laundrette who tells him about a tale um, from, I think, only 20 years prior. Uh, a, a man with a hook for a hand was wanted by the police. Uh, supposedly, he had been given out sweets, candies to children, and they'd found razor blades in the candies. This this young lad in this is is in this rundown building. He goes, I guess, into the bathroom. There's a hole in the wall, and it's quite a creepy sequence. But this guy with a really creepy looking smile 
comes out the wall and hands this candy to tries to hand the candy to the kid kid screams police run in and without even flinching beat him to death a week goes by another candy with a razor blade turns up so he was innocent but what is essentially happening is we are finding that there's a legend there's not just one person that is essentially the candy man i mean candy man's a bit more on the nose with this legend but it's something where it's injustice racial um racial injustice um attack you know racial attacks and all that but this then starts to play on our main character played by yaya abdul mateen the second is he starting to see things i won't go into too much more but i think this film has got some great kills in it it's shot brilliantly the opening with all the focus on looking up at these these high-rise buildings is really it is really quite euphoric it's it's shot brilliantly uh near da costa's done a great job i don't know who the uh cinematography was by john uh gulisarian and generally it's it is i was surprised that i enjoyed it just but just because i wasn't that hyped like i said Candyman's not my franchise um but here's where we then enter kind of a bit of an issue no i say an issue i it's the ending we won't go into the ending i don't want to give out spoilers again around the canon if you're if you're inclined give it a watch on prime it's free anyone else if you if you haven't seen it you know it's not a bad film but it's when you start trying to look into the, the, the logic elements of it. There's an element of body transformations. Um, and there's a plot which seems like things are set in motion. Again, I'm having to be very vague because I really don't want to give too much away. But when they try start trying to explain the path that things are going down, that's where I think it falls over. And funnily enough, I, I do like Get Out by Jordan Peele. But with us, I found it was decent until when they try to explain things. I do like a good explanation. You know, some things can be vague. Some things it's good to have an explanation. But sometimes that explanation just doesn't really make any sense. And it almost it almost asks more questions than than it answers in its explanation. And I feel with this that the finale almost seems to kind of come out of nowhere. It seems to jump. I mean, I, I watched this on stream on my my own channel, at Tezius on Twitch. And it just seemed to suddenly be like, oh, right, okay. What's what's going on now? It Things things seemed a little bit too convenient. There's also a couple of cameos. Um, again, I won't reveal too much, but some of them I think are quite nice and a great connection to the original film to give an overarching feel to a particular journey and also to really make this a true sequel but then another one which then kind of again asks the question of right well who who what's really going on here again i can't say too much but as a whole oh that's a bit low on the screen 6.5 it's it is good um it's shot great there's some really great kills in it um really great use of blurring the lines of reality and what you can really see and what's in a, in a reflection. But I, I feel that it kind of let itself down. I think the finale just, 
I don't know if there's maybe some deleted scenes um, or or what, but it just kind of fell over. And this could have easily been a 7.5. Easily. Uh, Fran Cannon. So are we seeing diminishing returns from Jordan Peele's influence? The Nope trailers so far do nothing for me. Nope doesn't really interest me a lot at the moment. Again, I really enjoyed Get Out. I thought Get Out was great. I thought the 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 whole setup the paranoia even even the reveal of what was really going on i think was quite interesting it was quite unique but us for me it's just it it was fine some creepy moments but the explanation i just i, I thought the final sort of twist regarding the main character was quite good but the explanation for what the doppelgangers are i thought what <laughs> I don't know. It seems like there's a good idea of a creepy, a creepy idea, but then the explanation for that kind of maybe needs to go through a bit of a, you know, let's review this again. Let's sleep on this and have a look and think: is this a good, is this a good way to end it? Um, and the Nope trailer. I don't know. I'll I'll wait till there's another trailer. I know that he's confirmed it's aliens, um, which is fine. But yeah, does nothing for me. And Jordan Peele, I I really wanted to like the Twilight Zone. He's that he produced and presented a new series, The Twilight Zone. I got like two episodes in, and I just it wasn't for me. I mean, I will go back and watch the old. I've got the box set, the Blu-ray box set of the classic black and white Rod Sterling series. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it seems like he hit massive highs with his first film, and then it's almost like his name's tacked on something so you know it's going to be good but it just isn't quite and not to be too disparaging but i do kind of have the same feeling about toby hooper don't don't come at me texas chance mask is incredible it's one of the best slashes best horrors it's 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 up there it just is unnerving but for me yeah i don't know it's his other films i don't really do too much for me um, so maybe it's a case if you hit the high on the first go around and then you're kind of living off your name a bit. Not to say that too much with Toby Hooper, I haven't seen all of his films, but a lot of them I have seen outside of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. Not so great. Um, uh, Bericles. Plus, wasn't the Twilight Zone retold old stories? I think it's a mixture of, um, of retellings of old ones and some, some new ones, but it just... I don't know. I don't know what it is about remakes of Twilight Zone, The Outer Limits, um, where it should be a home run to take that anthology, creepy, mysterious horror format. But it does the remake, the reboots just don't seem to work. I don't know what it is. Don't know. Um, so yeah, that is Candyman. Now, MOH Book Club we briefly mentioned earlier on. I did say the second Tuesday of every month we'll be doing the book club. Um, I'm only 147 pages into Funland, which I think is about 500 pages. Um, it, it is good, but my God, it's small print. <laughs> I don't know if it's the book I got, but it's like, it's taking me a while just to read one of these pages. It's, not, it's, it's a paperback. It's not even a massive one, but it's like the print. I'm making excuses now, but what I'm saying is, we may not necessarily be doing book club next week. It may be the week after, but you'll get a regular update so you know kind of where I'm at. I have already picked out the next book we are going to do. 
Uh, we'll talk about that when we when we get to the Funland um, discussion, which will be hopefully in a couple of weeks. But um, oh, I stopped. Didn't realise new stuff was in there. Might try it out. Oh, is that in regards to um, Twilight Zone? Yeah, I'm. Don't don't quote me on that, Pericles. But I'm fairly sure it's a mixture of some new tales and some old. Um, or I'd hope so, at least. I'm fairly certain at least the third episode or so is, is a new one. Um, I'll find the camera. I'm at page 200 now, so I don't feel too um, too bad now. Yeah, I, I am enjoying it. I think his, his writing so far, um, uh, Richard Lemond, is, is quite good. He talks about nipples quite a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> I don't know if it's just the setting of a California... Um, promenade with uh you know like these fun houses and whatnot scantily clad women but it seems every other page is talking about dark nipples and i'm thinking does this guy not does this guy not get much much attention in that regard i don't know i mean saying that stephen king sometimes like every book you'll have a section where he's just talking about boners and you think come on man i didn't really need to read that uh, but yeah, Funland is good so far. I'm very I, the the next book I started listening to on audiobook because I do I travel to my office a couple of times a week and it's like a three hour round trip. Um, so I thought, you know what? Just so for the next book or story, we get to it quicker. I'm just going to do the audiobook. Um, and I could probably tell you that now as well because if you want to get the same head start as me, it is. Oh, God, I probably should remember who the author is. The book is called Imaginary Friend, and it is by Stephen... Uh, let me just check my phone. I've got 23 hours left of it. Stephen Chbosky. Uh, I saw it on a list of scary new novels, and so far, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I've done about an hour or so of it uh, on the drive home today, but that... Oh, my God, shut it heard me say about horror novels and my Alexa went off. No, my Siri. Sorry. So, we'll be doing MOH Book Club maybe next week, probably the week after. But now let's get on to our main discussion for the night. Which means we're also going to have our main discussion music. Which, as Pericles has said before, sounds like the specials. It's, it's not the specials, I don't think. That was a song called I don't I think it's called Nightmare something, I don't know. I've licensed it for this, so I say license, I downloaded it from a Royalty 3 jobby. We are finishing up the mini season of remakes by looking at one of the richest areas for remakes, which is the slasher film. Now, why is it such a rich area for remakes? Why have there been so many slasher films? remade in modern times could it be slashers in the 70s 80s 90s early 2000s were incredibly profitable uh could it be that more often than not it's a masked killer um who has whatever their reasons are for going on a little killing rampage 
and part of it is the who done it the who is the person under the mask um yes yeah, slasher villains become icons that's it part of it can be the the image the look as we've got here on the screen at the moment michael myers very iconic um could it be that it's the story itself well the first film we're going to look at is kind of it's both of them we have in john carpenter's halloween an excellent story and an iconic killer with brilliant leading performances from donald pleasance and jamie lee curtis now i'm not going to do a massive deep dive on halloween or it, or its remake we're going to be discussing this fairly briefly because there has been a halloween franchise deep dive a few episodes back with dean jovi we looked at the entire franchise but this, we couldn't start a slasher discussion without talking about Halloween. It's the one that really started it all. There'd been some before it, but this is the one where you had the iconic score and direction and story from, from John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Um, it, just the tone, the feel. I mean, I could gush about Halloween ad nauseum, but it gave us Michael Myers. Uh, such an iconic killer that when they tried to go into a slightly different route, they'd told their story or they'd attempted to tell the story through the studio's requirement through Halloween 2 and they wanted to go to, down an anthology route with 3. Uh, three's fine. Um, but the people wanted Michael Myers because he is just... It's this... I, it's this... I mean, look at, this, look at him on screen. The expressionless face, the black eyes the devil's eyes with this story we had we didn't have a case of who done it who's it under the mask we know who it is under the mask we don't need to see his face because it's essentially the the mask is his face it's expressionless he is evil um we get an opening where we see from his point of view him murdering his sister as a child um sorry i just seen the gruffs chat and we can put the chat up on here as well actually because i do remember to do stuff oh look at that um <laughs> so i'm very i'm very impressed with myself that i managed to sort the 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 chat thing out lawrence did tell me it was easy um and yeah it is um it's uh, we 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 know that he's essentially evil. I mean, Donald Pleasance's character, Doctor Loomis, tells us he tried. He spent a number of years trying to get through to him, and then the remaining years trying to keep him locked away because he just knew that there was nothing there. He was innate. He was just a he's just evil. Now we eventually in two thousand seven got a remake of this uh it was gonna happen sooner or later but the halloween franchise had gone to certain lengths and it plumbed certain depths uh it had a resurgence with halloween h2o bringing back jamie lee curtis 20 years later but then it was followed up by the worst film in the franchise which was resurrection so that's that's one reason why a franchise can have a remake required You've got such a profitable name, an IP, um, a killer, key characters, that you then come to a point in the storyline, and with Halloween we had two different branching storylines because of the uh, the retconning of, you know, parts uh, four to six in H2O, um, that the story has run its course ten times over. So... 
what what does the studio do? They go, well, let's try and follow up from Resurrection, which was such a commercial shit show. Let's go back to what people love, and that is Michael Myers. That is Laurie Strode. Now, they tapped up um, a guy that I I really do like his uh, his music, and. I, re- I did enjoy House of a Thousand Corpses and I thought Devil's Rejects was excellent. They brought on board Rob Zombie. Now, I've spoken before that, you know, I'm a big fan of his music. I like that just no-nonsense heavy metal. White Zombie, their, their two main uh, studio albums are incredible. But this is a guy who has created a lot of notoriety with for himself. House of a Thousand Corpses had a huge amount of buzz. It was delayed a number of times. The studio getting cold feet because of its content. Um, but it became a success. And it's really quite a visceral and grimy film. Did The Devil's Rejects, which I think is probably his best film in my opinion. But he was tapped up to do a remake. Um... Now, I won't go too much into the nitty-gritty of the discussions between Rob Zombie and and John Carpenter. I believe that John Carpenter was a bit miffed with Rob Zombie because they'd had discussions, and I think Rob kind of... Again, I'm not going to do the he said, she said, but uh, they they tapped him up, and he did do something quite interesting with, uh, with it. A friend of Khan says, plus too many people these days seem averse to watching old movies, so it's easier to take a concept you know worked and make money and redo it for a new generation. Uh, 100%. And it's also similar with um, with foreign language films. You can have an excellent foreign language film, but it's like, let's let's just remake it so people don't have to read subtitles or listen to poor dubbing. Um, it's just the easier thing to do. But with Rob Zombie's version of Halloween, he wanted to really get into the 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 younger years of Michael. What led him to have his do his first murders, uh, and then go into retreading what happened in Halloween. Now, with Rob Zombie, I think he is a he has a great look to his films. I think he is a good director, but as I've said before, I don't think he's a great writer especially dialogue, more specifically dialogue. Um, Demetrius Palkis says Tyler Durden. That's Fight Club, right? Um, so with his remake, he went down the road of going, well, I'm not just going to remake shot for shot Halloween. I don't want to rely on the tropes too much, um, which is quite brave. And rather than go if we're looking at the nature of the nurture argument of serial killers Halloween John Carpenter's uh, Halloween was almost the nature aspect because there's no indication why a young child would murder his sister and become a silent you know killing machine or not really a machine in the first film that comes much later um, but in Rob Zombie's Halloween it's almost heavily implied that it's the nature. He is in an awful upbringing. He's got a a mother that's really struggling. She's stripping, which then leads to him getting taunted at school by the bullies. His uh, stepdad or step uncle is just awful. Um, and um, yeah, the gruff. Some of the dialogue in the film is awful and so weird. No one talks like he writes. Yeah, it's almost like he's been to one grimy Texan roadhouse. And overheard some people talking, 
Effin and Jeffin and thought, well, that's it. That's how people talk. It's like not not everything is backwards, deep south, <laughs> or the the portrayal of that. Um, and it is quite interesting. It's like I say, if you take out the dialogue, then the first half of his Halloween, his remake, is is quite unique. But it's almost when we then get the adult Michael and the uh, the Laurie character that for me it kind of then falls over. There's some great moments, some great shots, but Laurie, who's the sweet good girl, but played by Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, the ta- Taylor Scout Compton portrayal, she's again, everything is a bit uh, rude, shall we say. Not to sound like a prude, but it's such a contrast really to our initial Laurie. Um, Michael Myers is now like a seven foot hulking beast, and he wasn't that. You know, that was Jason. In this, he's just battering people through walls and just... It's it's so visceral and over-the-top, but over-the-top in a way that's almost real, if that makes sense. Like, it's not like... Uh, it's not like Friday the 13th Part 6, which I, which is great, where he's pushing someone's head through a metal, a metal uh, bit of uh, sheet. But it's... He's almost become... Uh, a movie monster as opposed to a man um, and if we're looking at film versus film which we kind of did last week with uh, my guest Peter Goddard looking at the video nasties there's no question that um, James John Carpenter's not James Carpenter John Carpenter's uh, film is the daddy um, the remake has its moments it's it's interesting it's quite different which is I think quite commendable but it's just the dialogue the dialogue and the characterizations it really brings it down from a level of class that Halloween has to something that you'd pick up for two pound on a X rental, you know, in the days of Blockbuster, let's say. So looking at remakes, the original easily wins hands out. Now, our next remake. So it's the Born movie to the originals Bond. Do you know what, Bericles? I've not actually ever seen any of the Bourne films. The amount of times where I've seen on Sky that they've got the Bourne collection, I've downloaded the first one, I just never get around to watching it. Um, funnily enough, all of the James Bond films are on Prime at the moment. And, uh, ooh, going back to watch Dr. No recently, and uh, Sean Connery is very bossy with the women, isn't he? He doesn't really take no for an answer, which in 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 today's world is a bit like, oh, God, that's a bit problematic. I don't know if Bourne's the same. Isn't he just amnesiac? An am- amnesiac that's been programmed? I don't know. I will agree, but I, like I say, never seen the Bourne films. Maybe I should. Um, but we're now going to go on to the other, the other big franchise uh, from the slasher icons that have been sub- subsequently remade. I do realise that I haven't included in my list um, one very particular... Uh, remake, which I think I'll discuss after this. I don't have any pictures prepared on my little slideshows, but we'll definitely discuss it because it's. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I agree, Gruff. I, I agree about uh, about old school Connery. It's a bit of a different viewing in today's age than when you see it as a kid. Um, but that's the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Now, I'm not going to do talk like I did on the on the Halloween. I'm going to do a deep dive on. The original film because the remake 
isn't a remake of the original film. It's almost a remake, condensing parts one to three, to a degree. And I agree, Fran the Cannon. I'm very, one of my friends is a really big Friday the 13th fan, and he hates the remake. I think the remake is fun. And then again, he hates Freddy vs. Jason. Other than some bad CGI in places, I think Freddy vs. Jason is fine. It's just, it's a dumb popcorn horror. Um, they're not, the Friday films have never been highbrow. Like, Halloween's always been my franchise. I saw Friday the 13th films much later, because they never really seemed to get the TV exposure on terrestrial TV when I was growing up. Um, but the remake, uh, Marcus Nispel's remake, is very much... It's very much a new film, but a reboot to the franchise, if that makes sense. The original Friday the 13th, Sean S. Cunningham, um, we have a tale of a young boy, Jason Voorhees, being uh, but drowning in the lake because the camp counselors are too busy being shaggers, being pure shaggers, and they start getting killed off one by one, it turns out. Spoiler alert, it's his mum. Um, now... The second film, or at the very end of the first film, we find out that a young, de deformed Jason is still alive. Uh, the second film, he's now this hulking man with a bag on his head, which is very reminiscent of the town that dreaded sundown. Um, which, again, I probably should have included in this list because the original's fine and the remake is actually pretty good. Um, but, like I say, there's too many. There's too many. I was going to do the stepfather films in this as well, but ran out of time. Too many things. Um... And then by the third film, it's the third film, the Friday the 13th Part 3 3D, uh, where he gets his iconic hockey mask. So really trying to kind of cover the original versus the remake is difficult here because the remake is a reboot of the series and it's, it's almost covering the first three films. But it's fine. It's kind of similar in the vein to um, the Platinum Dunes remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's not too much like the original, but it almost has a very modern sense of that dread. Like, I really like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, remake. It's it's quite nasty in places, but it also has some great... You know, Jessica Biel's protagonist is great. It's got a great feel to it. Um, Friday the 13th is a bit more schlocky. It's, um, it's more about body count as opposed to kind of creating too much dread. You know, and, and they've kind of then gone for that with this, where you've got some quite unlikable teenagers and you almost you almost root for them to get killed because they're all dickheads, basically. Um, we've got uh, Jared Padalecki, Supernatural, which we've discussed on the show before, playing the protagonist, searching for his sister. Um, and he comes, he comes a cropper when he comes across Jason Voorhees, um, who's kind of kidnapped his sister because she looks similar to his mother, I believe. I think it's got a lock of his mother who's she got decapitated. But it's fun. Um again, I can't really do a, a comparative which one's better because it's not a direct one for one. But if you like the slashers, if you like the Friday the thirteenth, and if you've not seen the remake, give it a watch. It's divisive. A lot of people don't like it. I don't personally know why. If we're gonna talk about another thing which I forgot to include in here, that's why there's no pictures. Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, this one could it's difficult but this one the remake was absolute dog turd could that be because instead of us having a masked killer who is silent and just has a certain presence a certain kill type they were trying to remake 
a film which had such two very iconic performances. Um, is it? I was going to say Heather Langenkamp, but isn't that the one? No, that is it. Heather. Um, yeah, yeah, the main girl from Nightmare on Elm Street. I think I believe it's Heather Langenkamp and uh, Robert Englund playing Freddy Krueger. Such an iconic killer. Such a great performance. To, you know, it's the the original has it all. When you try to remake that, and again, I didn't include this in the list. Apologies. You're trying to replicate something that had such an iconic killer, and I'm I'm talking even before his quips and his you know his more comedic elements from part four, four to six or seven, well, four to six I'd say. And they got a great actor in, but it just it's how can you do that? How can you replicate uh, or do a new take on that that can be looked at in the same way? Similarly, the 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 original Nightmare on Elm Street such a unique um look in terms of the dream world in terms of the real world and how the thin line blurs between characters kind of slipping into that world the the remake went for almost like an mtv version of that and it's just it feels cheap um so in in terms of talking again about a franchise where we've got a remake of an original and you know you can do a comparative because they're te they're telling essentially the same story. That's one of those tales where it just goes wrong because for whatever reason the approach they've taken just does not work. And uh, I mean this discussion is more of a stream of consciousness really than a set out list. But that follows us on to a uh, another one where the remake just just falls so far away from the original. Going back to our boy Johnny C. John uh, John Carpenter, and that's the fog. We have an original tale where it it borders the line of slasher. It is essentially a slasher, but it's a ghost story as well. Uh, brilliantly done. This then also got the modern, uh, early two thousands, mid two thousands remake treatment. Great young cast, but they. You you lost that feel, you lost that tone, you lost the dread of the original for a focus on CGI, on MTV cuts, which automatically date it to that era. You can argue films from the 80s have that 80s dating, but it's... I, I don't know if it's maybe a renaissance of nostalgia, but for me, I've... I mean, I wasn't... I was too young to watch it at the time, but you see these films now and they just... You love that feel, whereas... The early CGI days were such a reliance on what are bad effects. Um, you almost think, why bother? If you can't make it look good, why bother doing it? So we're looking at this original film. It's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as an early role, Tom Atkins. Um, and we've got a ghost story of these, these ghostly pirates. They were lepers. They were denied access to this town in because like 500 years ago, whatever. So they're now coming back for their revenge, killing off people one by one. Um, it is brilliant, brilliantly done. Early 2000s, they go, right, okay, it's not a franchise, but John Carpenter, whose films are pretty much at all at this stage become cult classics, um, John Carpenter, uh, his name had... Uh, his films get looked at a different eye. They... they didn't necessarily all have they weren't box office smashes at the time 
but they're well regarded, such as The Thing. The Thing was a bomb when it was released. Uh, it bombed because it was released at the same time as E.T., a happy alien film. But it's in, in later years, rightly so, it's been uh, regarded as a classic. Such as things like The Thing. It didn't become a franchise. It was a very much, you know, what in these days seems like a bit of a lost art, a self-contained story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It doesn't need to be franchised. You don't need to write it out as a trilogy. They took the idea and went, oh yeah, we can do that in the modern age. And it is the drizzling shits. Um, Necro Eric, I usually refuse to watch remakes. I, 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 like to have, I like to have an open mind with remakes because I do think some are great. I've talked before about Maniac. Um, I've talked, you know, I enjoyed the Friday the 13th remake, but there's, I mean, like this, it's the drizzling, it's the drizzling shits. <laughs> um, I if we're looking at original versus remake, the original 10 times over, uh, the, the Fog by John Carpenter, it's, I mean, if you try to say it's one of his greats, a lot of his films are his greats. It's really difficult to whittle it down. You know, you've got your very top tier things like, uh, the thing for me and Halloween, and then everything else is really high level. Um, but the thing remake is just it's it's really hard to watch. It's bad. Now, speaking of Necro Eric in the chat, we're going to go to Canada Land for well, this is image from the remake um, for the slasher film, My Bloody Valentine. Everything could have gone wrong for this film. The remake I'm going to be talking about specifically because it was released at the era of 3d you know when there was a point where it's like 3d can work yet 3d now is really good yeah no i mean avatar was cool when i first saw it in 3d in the cinema it's not a great story um and prometheus again not a great story but seeing it 3d in the cinema was great the majority the majority of 3d films in the more recent 3D renaissance, or, you know, trying to force it down our throats, let's say, have been ass-pissed, quite frankly. But My Bloody Valentine, um, the, the remake, the 3D remake, was a lot of fun. They had fun with it. They thought, we're going to make this 3D. We're throwing the kitchen sink at it. If you're having a horror that's 3D, you want things coming out of the screen at you. We don't want to do the whole trope of... It's a 3D film, but it was shot in 2D, and we're just going to kind of make it seem almost slightly layered, like that crap. They went all out on it, and it's a lot of fun. The original film was a 1981 Canadian slasher film that's directed by George uh, Mihalka and written by John um, Baird, starring Paul Kelman, Laurie Hellier, and Neil Affleck. I've only actually seen the original My Bloody Valentine once years ago, so here's the plot to uh, remind anyone who's, who's similar to myself or maybe hasn't seen it. It tells about a group of young adults who decide to throw a Valentine's Day party only to incur the vengeful wrath of a maniac in mining gear who begins a killing spree. Um, it's just, it's a lot of fun. The original's a lot of fun, so you can see the kills there. It's just over-the-top nonsense gore but it's just it's just fun and the remake they they the, what they did with the remake was went okay we're not reinventing the wheel here the original my bloody valentine's a cool slasher film but it's not regarded like halloween it's not regarded like nightmare friday uh, let's just it's fun though so let's just do that let's get another young group of um actors they've got um 
Jensen Ackles, again from Supernatural. So I think this may have come out as a... The remake may have been a similar time to uh, 2009. So I think it was only a couple of years maybe after the Friday the 13th remake. Maybe they were having an off-season of Supernatural so the guys could make some films. Um, yeah, they just went they just went for it and had fun. So these films, I don't think necessarily won... The, the, I'm not going to say the remake is better than the original. That That is rarely the case. But the remake is it's a similar level. You know, you can just... They're both films where if you want to watch a good slasher, you want to see some inventive over-the-top kills, get some popcorn, pop a beer, watch either of these, and you are going to have a good time. So it it's... Again, like I say, it's one of the lesser-known original films um in regards to the remakes but no less is it as fun which leads me to the last one now like i said i've got some honorable mentions there's far too many to to go through on a remake of slashes you've got black christmas you've got uh prom night oh god uh the stepfather i was gonna do the stepfather films because they are schlocky early 90s um horror thrillers uh the the remake and the original it was a bit of a franchise but time got away from me, so maybe there's a future for doing uh, slasher discussions and whatnot. Who knows? But I wanted to end this up with Child's Play. Child's Play, the Chucky films, if you will. A quick swig of water. Now, there's a lot of notoriety, good or bad, with, uh, with Child's Play. More specifically, uh, part three. But it is a franchise that if you're going to talk about doing a remake, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the remake, but it's it fits the criteria of you have a successful film. Oh, Fran the Can, I've not seen the Prom Night remake, but uh, I mean, Prom Night was fine. I didn't think it was great. Um, so I won't, I won't uh, seek out the remake. Um, but yeah, Child's Play is prime cut for a remake. You have a successful initial film. You then have a number of sequels with diminishing returns, bit of a resurgence, and then we're back to diminishing returns. So for Child's Play, we had part one, which was 1988, directed by Tom Holland, from a screenplay by Holland, a series creator Don Mancini and John Lafia, based on the story by Mancini. Um, it's just inventive. You have a serial killer who transposes his soul into that of a good guy doll, which is the new hip toy that kids want to play with. Um, the voice is done by, uh, what's his name? Brad Dorif, who's just excellent. Um, and he has his soul transposed into his doll because he's about to be gunned down in this department store. But he eventually wants to have a body back. He doesn't want to be a doll all the time. He goes on a bit of a killing spree, trying to trying to do those that wronged him. Um, and he is picked up by uh, the mother of the younger young boy, Andy Barclay, to give to her son, because she can't afford the, the newest doll, so she manages to get this one on the cheap. There's some great inventive kills in there. I really like the sequel, uh, the second part. The third isn't so popular. I think the third had some great set pieces um, and some good kills. The story lulls a bit. It's also been a bit marred with um, with controversy, incorrectly so. Um, but there's a huge, uh, awful tragedy in the UK, and this uh, was unfortunately kind of linked with it in terms of uh, media influencing um, violence. Um, the 
I won't, I won't go into it, but if you know, you know. Um, it then had a lull, a quiet period before coming back with Bride of Chucky, which was excellent. They really played into the fun of it. They, it was basically the Bride of Frankenstein, but with uh, a love story with dolls. Um, and then, yeah, Seed of Chucky was absolute garbage. It was so bad. Uh, Don Mancini brought the series back to a uh, more horror-based roots with Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. They're fine, but they really weren't that memorable to me. Uh, not for any anything in particular. I liked what he was trying to do with connecting parts to the original parts of the franchise. But Chucky is, again, it's kind of similar to, like, Phantasm. Really fun horror series, but you're constantly having the main character get killed and destroyed at the end, and then through some <laughs> somehow they are back in in the sequel um they're fun i'm not going to say anything about that but uh you know it there it, it's you kind of have to throw your logic sometimes out the window so the original was 1988 this was then remade in 2019 uh let's go to the reboot um it was directed by Lars Klevberg from a screenplay written by Tyler Burton Smith. It serves as a re as a remake of the '88 film and a reboot of the Child's Play franchise. It's got a great cast. Aubrey Plaza is excellent. If you ever seen Parks and Recreations, um, or Black Bear, I think was a pretty decent film of hers recently. Uh, Gabriel Bateman, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, David Lewis, Tim Matheson, and Mark Hamill, as mentioned. Uh, as mentioned in the chat, did the voice of Chucky. Uh, follows a family terrorised by a high-tech doll who becomes self-aware and subsequently murderous. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It, it was. It's a lot better than it kind of almost had any right to be. Like I say, it's the right formula for doing a remake of a slasher. You have an established franchise. The franchise has almost run its course a couple of times over. It's an IP that is relatable. In this in this instance, they went for the original title because after part three, it was all Chucky-based films, Chucky-based titles. There's even been a TV series called Chucky, which again has had very, very mixed responses. I quite enjoyed it. You had Jennifer Tilly back, which is excellent. Fiona Dorif, Brad Dorif voicing Chucky. Um, and Devin Sawyer from Idle Hands and Final Destination in it. It's a good series. Um, but doing a remake of it... They took the original title, taking it back to the first film. It's not a Chucky film per se, child's play film. And it was a lot of fun. They but they went quite a different route. It's a self-aware high-tech doll. He just wants to be friends, but it's a bit it's a bit cuckoo bananas. Um Yeah, from memory, this is quite this was quite fun. I think the finale I remember thinking was a little bit silly, but then how else could you go big? when you've got one little doll get loads of dolls have them all become self-aware um and yeah again i i can't necessarily say one's better than the other i mean for me i kind of agree uh who's it said it in the chat yeah with the gruff child's play 2 i think is excellent um they just the finale at the toy factory they really just they really go for it i think it's brilliant the first film's great the remake of the first film is great i really can't say one is better than Tova. Um, but that's kind of going to round out my little mini remake season, specifically this time looking at slashes. Like I say, tons, 
tons that I'll have missed. Just cherry-picked ones where I think we've got a little bit of variety, a little bit of range of some of the classics and how a classic can be remade to a good degree, how it can be almost butchered, basically, with the fog and everything in between. So, moving on to talking about next week. Now, I made a decision a little bit earlier on that I want to talk about a particular director. I'm not going to do all his work. I'm going to pick three or three or four films. Part of me wanted to focus on one big part of this director's work, but I thought, no, 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 no. I am in discussions with uh, another podcast uh, podcast host for his show, um, if he gets to this topic, to discuss said topic, because it's something that I absolutely love. So we will not be touching on Twin Peaks, but next week we are going to be discussing the mind-melding, uh, transcendical horror thriller noir of david lynch um he is an incredible filmmaker i've seen a number of his films not all of his films um i think this week i really want to watch um god my memory is so bad which film is it of his that's meant to be pretty darn scary and i've got the i've got in a box set but i haven't watched yet uh, da, 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 Lost Highway. Lost Highway. Um, I'm definitely going to be featuring that, but... Oh, The Gruff, the newest Twin Peaks series. Oh. So we'll talk a little bit about Twin Peaks now, but we'll, I, won't do a, I won't do a show on Twin Peaks. If I don't end up doing this uh, discussion with, a, uh, with, with Andy for Retro Chat, um, I, will definitely, I will definitely look at Twin Peaks, but um, I'd much... Uh, if he goes to do Twin Peaks, which I've kind of discussed with him, I would love to be involved in the, even if doing a little talking bit on that because it's, it's a show I love. It's retro gold, so it would fit his uh, his IP um, really well. But the the newest series of Twin Peaks, my goodness, my goodness, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Again, it's typical Twin Peaks. I couldn't really tell you a hundred percent of what's going on, but my God, it's just he's a visionary. He makes you, <laughs> without going into too much detail, he makes you have a character that you want so bad to be normal, and for the longest time he almost becomes irritating that it winds you up. But then you can't help but just really feel for the for the character, and you want them to you want the best for them. It's very vague, I I know that, but the Twin Peaks: The Return is incredible. It more than makes up for the majority of Twin Peaks series too. Which through studio interference, the you know Mark Frost and David Lynch stepping away, the the big chunk of the middle of Twin Peaks series two is no need to watch it. It's not very good, but the first and the first half, first season, first half of season two, finale season two, and then the return are just incredible TV. It's brilliant. But we're going to be looking at David Lynch, uh, some David Lynch films. I think probably to throw it out there, Blue Velvet, Eraserhead, Wild at Heart. Uh, and maybe Mulholland Drive, and if you know if I've watched it, I will discuss. Uh, we'll discuss Lost Highway, um, Inland Empire. I don't think it was, I haven't seen it yet, but I know that's a very very weird film, so I wouldn't necessarily say that's horror. But yeah, next week's gonna be David Lynch week. Um, so I hope to see you then. Talk about the rest of the week. Um, podcast streams. You'll have um, 
Andy's show. I don't know if Andy's show was today. It may have been delayed. I know he said that it's potentially be another day of the week uh, last week. Um, but that will when that show's on, that'll be on the MOS network um, and podcast feeds. Next week, you'll have the new episode uh, for Turning Years from Bericles. Really looking forward to that. It's an era of wrestling I know nothing about, so I'm finding it incredibly interesting. Uh, Ministry of Slam, Sunday, 7 p.m., uh, the Gruff, not seen any of his films, I'm afraid to say. What's the best introduction for The Gruff for David Lynch? Um, that's a tough one. Uh, Gruff, let me know if you like The X-Files. If you like The X-Files, I would say start with the TV series Twin Peaks. The best way to describe Twin Peaks is... Noir mystery, sci-fi, horror, soap opera, comedy. A lot of different things, but it works. Um, and you've also got David Duchovny in a few roles uh, as a as a character. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I'd say a really great film, just I think it won an Academy Award, is The Elephant Man. Uh, the The Elephant Man's incredible. But there's so many different things. It depends how weird you want to go. A Razor Head is, is his first thing, and it's very weird. Um, thanks, Necro. Thank you for, for coming along. Uh, do I like The X-Files? The Gruff says, I love X-Files. It was my thing back in the day. I would say Hunt Down, season one. Well, you'll probably get in the box at season one and two, but season one of uh, Twin Peaks... The music is incredible. It's almost dreamlike. The setting, it's just brilliant. Um, you'll probably fall in love with uh, with um, which character. I mean, Audrey's played by an older actress, but she's she's playing quite young in that. To be fair, um, but there's just it's just a there's a dreamlike quality to it. Um, it's not too much. It's not like the X Files where it's monster of the week. You have it's a murder mystery, but there's so much weirdness going on that it's it's brilliant. The season two does take a massive dip for a long period of time. Director and writer moved on because of X, Y, Z. Um, I've seen Twin Peaks season one, two, just not any films. Oh, sorry, Gruff. <laughs> um, I need to watch the newest Twin Peaks, not seen any of the films. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, watch watch the new series. Uh, in terms of films... Do you know what? I would say either Blue Velvet or Mulholland Drive because I think that they're his best. Um, An Elephant Man's incredible. It's a biopic, but Eraserhead, I would say, work your way towards. See if you like Mulholland Drive or Blue Velvet first because Eraserhead is weird. It's really good. It is really good, but it's so weird. But we'll go into those films a bit more next week. We'll have a discussion on it. So next week we'll also we'll we'll discuss at what point we'll be doing the book club again, whether it's the following week or the the following week after that. <laughs> Depends how far I'm into it. But it sounds like Fran the Can's in a similar position to me. Uh, well, that about wraps it up for tonight's show. Thanks for joining the chat. If um, if you've been watching it on uh, on Twitch. Head over also to the YouTube channel, hit like if you can, hit subscribe if you haven't already. It really helps the MOS network and the algorithm, all that good stuff. Um, I'm going to be ch chucking this up onto podcast streams after we finish. I'm probably going to go watch some trashy TV for a little bit um, in between. But uh, yeah, 
Thanks for coming along again. Have a great evening and uh, see you next time.